0: Welcome to EXPOSED, Environmental Echoes in Health, a special edition podcast series produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. This series is brought to you by Van Andel Institute, an independent biomedical research institute devoted to improving human health for generations to come. While the human body cells all use the same set of instructions, they can end up with wildly different features and functions. Beyond the information stored in DNA, factors within a person's environment, including chemicals, microbes, and their diet, change how cells work. In this series, we'll talk to researchers at Van Andel Institute who investigate how the environment and behavior change cellular functions through epigenetic processes and learn how they study past, present, and future influences on human health and disease. Substances that enter the body, such as food or chemicals, can make epigenetic changes in the germline that become inherited, affecting the health of future generations. In this episode, Nikki Spahich from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Dr. Heidi Lampraddle, an assistant professor in the Department of Metabolism and Nutritional Programming at Van Andel Institute, about her work studying the effects of parental diet on their offspring.
1: As organisms interact with the world around them, factors in the environment that end up in the body can leave lasting marks. Some of these factors are mutagens, agents that produce DNA mutations, while others cause epigenetic changes, such as DNA methylation or chromatin rearrangements that affect gene expression without altering the DNA sequence. These epigenetic changes contribute to health and disease phenotypes in ways that researchers are just beginning to unravel. Dr. Heidi Lampradal turned to a career in science once she realized her fascination with the natural world around her. What began as a curiosity about nature took her on an academic journey that culminated in a position at Van Andel Institute.
2: I was always very interested in complexity and the connectedness of things, and maybe that's why I landed on epigenetics. I'm fascinated by how our environment shapes our lives, how an experience can lead us down a different trajectory, depending on what happened to us and when it happened to us. Our genome determines our macroscopic appearance, the color of our eyes, the hair color. Our epigenome determines all the little subtleties between us. Monozygotic twins have basically identical DNA. And if everything was determined by our genes, then these two individuals should be exactly the same. I think we can all agree that they are not. It becomes very apparent when we look at the discordance of disease so if one twin might develop a disease and the other one not, despite growing up in the same environment, so a lot of these things are determined by our epigenetics.
1: Lamprado now studies epigenetic changes that stem from chemical exposures and changes in diet. How diet affects the body beyond weight is something that interests many scientists. In fact, some of the earliest evidence of epigenetics in humans comes from researchers analyzing the offspring of people who suffered through extreme starvation. One such example is the Dutch Hunger Winter, which occurred during World War II. A part of the Netherlands was
2: cut off from food supply because the German army had destroyed the food corridors. All people living within that affected area, from all social classes, went through famine for a very specific amount of time. While their neighbors had plenty of food, basically. This provided a natural experiment in humans. Scientists became aware of this unique situation and studied the children of women that were pregnant during this famine. And they found that these children were more susceptible to certain diseases like diabetes, obesity, cardiovascular disease and other health problems, regardless of social status. And so they concluded that an adverse fetal environment while they were growing in a womb, such as starvation, following by plenty full of food, might be a recipe for chronic diseases. They also went on to study the grandchildren of these women, and they still found some evidence that there was increased incidence of certain diseases.
1: For an epigenetic change related to nutrition to be inherited, the body needs to communicate with the reproductive tissues. Lampradal is searching for the molecular mechanisms responsible for conveying this information about physiological state that ultimately affects offspring phenotypes. By understanding how this works, scientists could develop ways to prevent the transmission of harmful phenotypes. We know now that the chromatin reacts
2: to the environment. A lot of the factors used to establish chromatin modifications are direct products of metabolic pathways. And so the concentrations of these factors depend very much on the metabolic state. If we restrict metabolites in cell culture, we can see that these cells then have a different chromatin state. The germ cells are very different from the rest of the cells in our tissues. We don't know how they would incorporate those changes. In order to become a germ cell, they go through a lot of changes. A lot of the epigenetic marks actually get erased so that when fertilization happens, the cell starts off with a clean slate and there's not some epigenetic marks on there that would inhibit the development of the embryo. We don't know how some of these marks would make it through these processes of erasure.
1: Aside from unique events such as the Dutch Hunger Winter, studying epigenetics in humans is very difficult due to the many variables in human diets and experiences. So, Lampradal uses fruit fly models to create controlled environments and breed animals that are genetically identical. While this may seem like a surprising choice for a model system, humans share about 70% of disease-causing genes with Drosophila flies. Their metabolism is also similar to humans. They become obese if they eat too much sugar and that condition can lead to something similar to diabetes. The flies reproduce quickly allowing scientists to assess multiple generations. Using fruit flies, Lamprado is exploring the effects of maternal and paternal obesity and chemical exposure on offspring. Here the fruit fly
2: is a good model because fruit flies lay eggs so the embryo doesn't grow up in the mother's body the maternal environment during development is removed from this equation and it lets us study the impact of the environment before fertilization. So we have a few phenotypes that we focus on in the lab. Obesity is one of them, but we also look at the activity of flies. We put flies in an instrument that measures their movements. That lets us look at effects on, for example, sleep. Just like us, they have a circadian Behavior, they sleep at night, they're most active in the mornings and evenings, and then they go through a siesta during the day. Chemical exposure changes these behaviors. Something that we're also looking for with these activity asses is hyperactivity. Sometimes a fly is super restless and moves around all the time without having that, say, midday siesta. In the lab, we're trying to focus on phenotypes that relate to human. Disease. We choose our assays really carefully to have that human relevance, because in the end, we are not interested what changes a fruit fly's future. We're interested in what changes the future of a human.
1: In Lamprattle's obesity model, she experiments with the flies' diets by feeding them sugar, which makes them gain weight, and then assesses phenotypes in following generations. Apart from looking at the flies' physiques. She's also exploring a link between maternal obesity and autism, an idea based off of epidemiological studies in humans that suggests that children of obese mothers are more prone to develop autism spectrum disorders. One way that Lomprado tests this is by measuring the social distance between flies, how close individual flies are to the others around them. If certain flies can't keep the proper distance from others, This might be indicative of impaired social awareness traits that are shared with autism spectrum disorders. In her chemical exposure work, Lamprado subjects flies to various compounds, later removes the chemical stress, and then collects the mother's eggs, letting the offspring develop in a healthy environment before assessing their fitness. Because flies are so small and their life cycle is relatively short, she can test numerous compounds on following generations in a short period of time.
2: We have a project that's where we study more than 50 chemicals that we are exposed to in our environment. We took all the ones that could be found in a study of the Center for Disease Control and Bee Prevention, where they measured the concentration of these chemicals in our blood and urine. They Unfortunately, they found a lot of chemicals that were present in our blood and urine. We are now exposing the flies. And we're looking at what effect these chemicals have both in the exposed generation and in their children. Once we find compounds, we might take those into mammalian model systems like mouse studies and then see if we can reproduce the results from the flies.
1: Offspring inheriting changes due to nutrition and environmental conditions from their mother seems intuitive. A growing fetus experiences a lot of the mother's environment while in utero and researchers have found much evidence of maternal epigenetic effects. Through her research, however, Lamprado has found that maternal epigenetic inheritance was only half of the story.
2: It was a surprise when we found that the father can also pass on information about his environment or experiences. And this is a lot harder to imagine. The sperm is a lot smaller than the egg. It was considered to contribute only the one copy of DNA. We know now that sperm cells contain more factors than just the DNA, and they contribute to the development of a healthy embryo. These molecules are now being studied in a context of inheritance. So once we find how this message is conveyed to the next generation, we could target that and intercept the inheritance. This is a bit problematic because what is the default state, right? Taking the diet uh, experiment, for example, is, was it really bad for those sons to be more susceptible to obesity? They would have been a lot more prepared to be born in an environment of uh, low food supply, for example. It could actually be to an, an advantage to the children. I would be careful to say that we should be intercepting some of these effects because they could really be beneficial in a lot of circumstances. If there's examples where the outcome is really detrimental and it's very clear that it's to a disadvantage of the children, then someone could imagine to interfere. I think the most important thing is to realize how much of this is happening and and what can have intergenerational effects. And then maybe work on prevention. Make sure that information is out there and people can choose to, once family planning starts, to live a healthy life.
1: Lamprado and her husband both came to VAI to join a strong scientific community dedicated to improving human health she and others at the Institute are always on the lookout for talented scientists, especially postdoctoral researchers who can bring their passion and fresh ideas to the Institute. Lamprado's epigenetics and metabolism work is bolstered by the support of her colleagues and VAI, which fosters a scientifically stimulating environment where researchers can focus on their experiments and openly collaborate with each other.
2: The outstanding leadership, fantastic colleagues, you know, the really fascinating science that's going on, and the opportunity to be part of something growing, an institute that is working on carving out its place in the world of science. Almost exactly four years ago now, we moved here with our two children, and uh, we we have loved every moment of it.
0: Thank you for listening to Exposed, Environmental Echoes in Health, and thanks to Heidi Lampradal, Assistant Professor of Metabolism and Nutritional Programming at VAI. In the next episode of the series, we'll talk with Dr. Yvonne Funduf-Mittendorf about how toxins in the environment contribute to cancer. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe to The Scientist Lab Talk wherever you get your podcasts.